Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Praying Through the Bible podcast, based on the books of the same name. I'm Dr. Marcus McDowell, and through this series, we'll explore every mention of prayer in the Old and New Testaments. Our goal is to learn more about how ancient people thought about prayer, what its purpose was, how they did it, and then how that understanding can enrich our own prayers. Thank you for joining me. Welcome. Today we're going to begin our study of the first prayer, the one that appears in Genesis 4.26. Before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the book of Genesis. Context is important. The word Genesis means beginning, and that is what this book describes, the beginning of the world and the beginning of the people of Israel. The first four chapters are written like an epic with no set time or place. There's a lot to learn about who God is, why he created humans, and what is the relationship between humans and God. And then, beginning in chapter 12, we learn about the origins of Israel and its early history and its special relationship with God. The first thing that might strike you about prayers in Genesis is how much variety there is among them. All sorts of people offer them, from kings to prisoners, in all kinds of situations. Birth, death, joy, suffering. Some of the prayers are long and formal. Some are only one sentence. But the prayers offer a rich model, many of them, for us to study and to draw from for our own prayers. There are 14 of them in the book of Genesis. Five blessings, five petitions two intercessions, two vows, and one each of a thanksgiving, a lament, and a curse. The context encompasses everything, as we said above, from the birth of children to prayers for the entire nation of Israel. Some of the prayers are used for deceptive purposes, and one of them is even offered by a pagan priest. He is not a believer in God. And so the variety of prayer in this first book show that prayer can take on many forms and styles, context, purposes, and in situations. So these 14 prayers serve as an excellent beginning in our journey to develop a richness in our prayer lives. So let's look at Genesis 4.26. It says this, At that time, people began to invoke the name of the Lord. Ancient people believed that there were many gods. They differed in personality, in characteristics, abilities, jurisdiction, and power. For instance, the god Baal was the Canaanite god of rain and storms. He did good by bringing rain for the crops, but he could also wreak havoc through floods and storms. And so when there was a drought, the people thought that Baal had been imprisoned by another god. To the Egyptians, Re was the sun god, and Hapi was the god of the Nile River. And so when God performed miracles on the Nile River, that we read about in Exodus 7 and 8, The Egyptians saw this as a defeat of the god Hopi by the god of the Hebrews. People had gods of fertility, gods of war, gods of art and science, gods of childbirth, gods for healing, and gods for each specific craft. Most were rarely heard from unless a human did something to get their attention, good or bad. On occasion, a god or a goddess would become fond of a particular person and would bless and protect them. Though it might seem strange to those who practice Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, those gods did not care much about ethics or morals. They placed few, if any, demands on humans other than to respect the gods. Humans existed to serve gods 
when required. God of the Hebrews, God of the Christians, is entirely different. Genesis stresses that God created the world for humans, not for his own benefit. He nurtures people instead of seeing them as slaves. He cares how they live and how they treat each other. Ethical and moral behavior matter to this God. And so in this passage in 426, we find the first mention of prayer in the Bible. It is not a long essay on the subject or even an example of prayer. It is simply a brief mention that after the flood, people began to pray and they began to call on the name of the Lord. In the ancient world, to know someone's true name was to allow you into their life. What's the meaning of this passage? It's not always clear in English translations, but the English word Lord used here is not a translation for the common Hebrew word Adonai. The word, that word means Lord, Sir, or Master. Here, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, a strange word in Hebrew. It's probably a form of a Hebrew verb to be, which is why many Bibles translate it in some sections as I am. A better translation, though more cumbersome, would be, I will be what I will be. So the word Yahweh is not a general word of description like the Hebrew words El or Elohim, which mean God, and it's not a title like El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, or El Elyon, which means God Most High. Instead, it is presented as God's actual name, and that name became so sacred to the Jewish people that they later chose not to even speak it aloud. Instead, they substituted the word Adonai, or the phrase, the name. In early Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, only the consonants were written down in order to save paper. There were no vowels that were written down. You figured them out based on the context. In the 7th century AD, a group of Jewish scholars called the Masoretes decided to add written vowels to the consonants in the biblical text. When they came to the word Yahweh, no one remembered the vowels because the word had not been spoken aloud for centuries. So the Masoretes used the vowels from the word Adonai, making up a word that came part consonants of Yahweh and the vowels of Adonai. These vowels and consonants are untranslatable and really unspeakable by the rules of grammar, so English Bibles usually use the word Lord. And to distinguish it from Adonai, which is also translated Lord, most publishers print it in small caps with L-O-R-D, and they print Adonai as a normal capitalized word. This is how you can tell the difference. In Exodus 6-2, Moses experienced the presence of God through a burning bush. When Moses asked who God was, God tells him that he is the one who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, which is a title. Then he tells Moses that he only made himself known to them in part, but now he is revealing his true name, Yahweh, to Moses. And it is there that most translations say, before the beginning, before Abraham, before all this, I am, or again, I will be what I will be. Now, what's strange about this is that Yahweh was revealed to Moses, but we just came across the word here in Genesis long before the time written about in Exodus 6. How can that be? Well, the books of the Old Testament were passed down orally through many generations and were eventually written down and then edited a number of times. And so it was those later editors that put the word Yahweh in Genesis 4, probably because it is the first mention of God. 
the editor wanted to make it clear just who this God was. Not some distant God, not some uncaring God, but the God Yahweh himself, who had revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. This was the God the people were crying out to. Now remember, the people reading this story would already know the story about Moses and the burning bush. The name Yahweh was so important that those who wrote down these stories wanted to make it clear from the first that this is God. So for us, what does this mean? How do we use this in our prayers? Well, this very story and its meaning tells us that he is the God who wants us to know him in an intimate and personal way. He wants us to come to him, to share with him, to be in fellowship with him. So he gave Moses and us his personal name to use when we call upon the Lord. How do you usually address God in prayer? Is it formal? Is it familiar? Both are appropriate, for he is a powerful, terrifying presence who also wishes to be intimate with us. The name Yahweh captures this somewhat contradictory aspect of God, so sacred that the Jews would not even say it out loud, yet so intimate because it is his personal name. Spend some time in prayer to this God who cares so much about you that he is willing to make himself vulnerable to you. A God who is prepared to run the risk of you hurting him or rejecting him or ignoring him. He was willing to risk all that as God in order to have a chance for an authentic and intimate relationship with all of us. And so how do we respond in prayer? How will you respond in prayer today? If you've enjoyed this study and would like more resources, visit the website at www.prayingthroughthebible.com. That's T-H-R-U through. You can also search Amazon, Kindle, and the Apple iBooks store for books of devotions. Check the links below or in the program notes for more. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening. See the notes accompanying this podcast for more information. Learn more about the Praying Through the Bible Project on our website, prayingthroughthebible.com. That's T-H-R-U. If you are a subscriber, thank you. If not, please consider becoming one. Feel free to get in touch through the comments or on our website. Until next time, blessings on all of you.